the viral Bella Hadid dress moment at Paris Fashion Week, how has Marilyn Monroe collaborated with a sex toy company, and why the Try Guys cancelled the wife guy. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, a weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past and present. We would also like to celebrate the rich history of First Nations culture and storytelling that we're continually learning from. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Another week, another recording in our bedrooms, another week depressed that we don't live in Emma Chamberlain's home. Amen. The internet's favourite it girl blessed us with her very own architectural digest home tour this week and it literally set the internet on fire, at least in my algorithm. I'm sure yours was exactly the same because we are obsessed. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Not to get straight into it, but we are getting straight into it because I honestly brought it up in like small talk conversation with multiple acquaintances this week. <laughs> like instead of how's the weather, I was like, did you watch this? Um, just so I could chat about it. Um, yeah, because this really blew up the internet, as you said. It's like two of the internet's favorite things. We love Emma Chamberlain here. So if you don't, we talk about her a little bit. Um, and AD home tours are iconic as always. It was so funny because you sent this to me about midnight, like when it first mm. dropped, right? And I saw it in the morning. I didn't watch it until almost like two days later. I was like, this is my Super Bowl. I need to be in the correct headspace. I need full attention. I was like, maybe even snacks, you know? So I really wanted to take my time with this one. I'm the same, so much so that I haven't even fully watched the video yet. I mean, it's all over like TikTok and Instagram. So I've obviously seen every image, but I haven't actually watched the full video where she's like talking to the camera. Um, But I think I will tonight because, you know, end of the weekend, end of the week, just relax on a Sunday night with Architecture Digest literally um something to live for (laughs) gonna say something to get through the week and it's like a good 20 minute chunk like i watched it on the tv that's what i'm trying to say like it was oof it was good okay so some more information about the actual home she bought it may of last year right and so matt says she was either 19 or 20 when she bought this house the way your voice literally like shook then (laughs) like she was 19 When I was Googling this, I was like, like, what do we mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Um, And anyway, the place is in the Santa Monica Mountains in Beverly Hills. Randomly, we don't have specific details on the number of like bedrooms and bathrooms. Different journalism websites are saying different things. So either it's got five bedrooms and seven bathrooms or three bedrooms and five bathrooms. And it's also got a pool and a basketball court. Who needs that many bathrooms though? Like not speaking specifically yeah. about Emma Chamberlain, but like Rich has the, or like two bedrooms and five bathrooms. Like how do you keep all that clean? I mean, obviously people have cleaners if they're that rich, but like why do you need that many bathrooms? I think that's weird. It makes me question their bowel movements <laughs> straight away. So the house was designed in collaboration with Ashley Drost and Marie Truman of Pro-Am Studio. What are your favourite things from the – tour 
or what don't you like? I loved every single room, honestly. So like we've talked about cute aggression before, I think, which is when you find something aggressively cute or overwhelmingly cute you want to like crush it you want to squeeze it every time a new room came up I would like grunt and like <laughs> do, like I was like, ah! and, like clenching my fist because I'm like I can't control how much I love some of these yeah. rooms genuinely it's just so beautiful it's like quirky funky quite 70s inspired very similar vibes to Troy Sivan's mm. architectural digest if you have seen that one um yeah, it was just so I – was, I was just so in awe, like so beautiful. I obviously loved the kitchen. I think that's what everyone was like – Yeah, that's kind of what the internet was really focusing on. Did you see that chandelier in the dining room is $30,000? I can't believe it. And I was like, oh, we could DIY that for a good like 5K <laughs> would be plenty, I think. It's like the little Ikea like – um fardo lamp it's a spherical one and then you get like the chain i don't know spray paint the chain if you can afford it though pay the artist (laughs) true you're like anyway just go to ikea (laughs) no us plebs can do that though yes but i want to talk about this because i was so in awe and obviously she's mega wealthy and we don't you know we should like we don't try or I personally try not to worship Mm. like super super wealthy people etc um so I was talking with Tom afterwards and he watched it and I was like what's your favorite room and he's like oh the room with her dad's painting and I was like you mean the hallway and he's like yes the only appropriately sized room in the house and it's literally just like a meter (laughs) um because like yeah I mean yeah the rooms are big and stuff, but I don't know if this is me just giving Emma like a hall pass because I love her so much. But I'm like, I don't mind if a celebrity like spends like fully like millions and millions and millions of dollars on an incredible home mm-hmm. rather than like, I don't know. Wait, is that weird yeah. though? Oh, mm. I, I guess with like the housing crisis you know the way I mean? it is, but like, and True. they are like, it's unfair that celebrities get paid the amount they do and like hoard wealth. But mm. if you're going to ha- be wealthy, like you'd have a beautiful house, right? So I don't think it's true. I don't think it's irresponsible. The only way I think it gets irresponsible is like the Kardashians when they like um, use up all their water for their gardens, keep the gardens, you know, clean or whatever. Yeah. No, maybe it was too. too I was deep. like for nothing, <laughs> but I, yeah, I know. I was like, is that too? Is that too deep? But no, I loved it. I love the um, informal living room, by the way, and the formal living room um saw the rooms I guess but yes um enjoy looking at that and watching the video tonight is it now your number one AD tour yeah it pushed Troy off the top fashion history was made at the Copany spring summer 23 show at Paris fashion week During the finale of the show, model Bella Hadid walked onto the stage wearing nothing but a beige-coloured G-string. Then, a group of scientists sprayed her with a liquid that, bit by bit, transformed into a white dress. Yes, this was all over the internet the past week or so. Um, One of our friends, Kitch, actually posted on her story and was like, everyone and their cat is posting this video. Like, I am going to be on an Instagram break until it's over. (laughs) Because, I mean, yes, it was a lot um I, I thought we could have memeified it and been like 
when the group assignment is due at midnight <laughs> and it's 10 p.m. It's like all quickly like oh, that's pretty funny together. Damn, I should have done it. And it's too late now. <laughs> too late, mission moment. Um, yeah, it was everywhere, but um, for good reason, I think. Like it was a pretty incredible moment because another person then came out and cut the hem, pulled the sleeves into like an off-the-shoulder moment. And then we've all seen Bella look incredible, taking a final turn on the runway to prove that the dress like moved with her like real fabric. And it's actually being compared to one of the greatest fashion moments in history where the late Alexander McQueen used spray painting robots to paint a dress live on the runway. Have you seen that? Yeah, I only had seen it um, because of this Bella Hadid oh. like discourse. I hadn't seen it before. Year I was born, yeah. like wasn't wasn't <laughs> didn't have eyes probably to see it. Um, no, I could have watched it in the twenty three years since, but whatever. <laughs> I'm like, yes, um, I remember that moment from when honestly, I was three years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Next year, like a Lego set, you you've got that like on your little tv or whatever anyway back to your actual question so i watched it this week and it is honestly like breathtaking Mm. like it honestly like it just like stops you in your tracks it was a really magical um and powerful moment yeah if you haven't seen it google alexander mcqueen 1999 finale because it was his spring 99 show and model shalom harlow turns like a doll on this spinning piece of wooden turntable and then the robots come up and spray her but she's kind of like hiding her face and it's like scared of them but then it's it's just stunning but back to Bella a lot of people were saying this is the first they've heard of Copany the brand so thought we'd give a bit of um back history on who they are was founded by Arnaud Valent and Sebastian Meyer in 2019 and has become known for pushing fashion through scientific innovation Valant told LUK the brand is named after Copernicus, the Renaissance-era astronomer, so it's inspired by science, progress, innovation, and technology. Yeah, I hadn't actually heard of this brand before, and I didn't realize how fresh and new they they were. So they've only been around for three years now, um, and of course, this viral moment has set them, um, I guess, in like the mainstream fashion conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the science behind the dress is also super interesting. So according to The Cut, the story behind the spray-on dress started with a can of silly string and a man named Dr. Manel Torres. I thought I could create a mist, he said in a 2013 TED Talk. That was the eureka moment. So then he goes on to say that he he had the idea to spray this like silly string on a t-shirt, but he didn't know how to make it. So then he went to this Imperial College in London, which is known for their resources, and they gave him the lab and a material. And after two years, he finally started to get results. So then he created this Fabrican, a liquid fiber that evaporates when spray reaches a surface like Bella Hadid's body. And the fabric can feel like suede and can move. Yeah, so this sounds pretty futuristic and we're probably not going to need three scientists to dress us all every morning. But apparently this tech can be used to repair damaged clothing and their plan is to take this to the medical industry. So that's very cool to hear. So people can hopefully in the future make casts or spray on bandages from aerosol cans. So bloody cool. Oh my God, STEM podcast today. No, that's my STEM grind. But as you mentioned before, I kind of want to talk about like the viral fashion moments that have come out of these like 
this stint of like Paris Milan Fashion Week. Yes, um, so true. So I saw this TikTok from a user called Taylor Wang who talked about this specific fashion moment and was kind of critical mm. about it, talking about um, – this is their caption. I'll just read it out now, actually. I think the presentation is lacking depth. It has no strong storytelling behind anything. I think the moment is very beautiful, but not as iconic as what people made it out to be. And in their video, they kind of talked about how the reason why we're talking about this is essentially more so the fact that it's Bella Hadid, mm. right? She's the one um, who's a focus of attention here actually yeah when I first started watching the video when it popped up on social media my first reaction reaction was oh it's Bella Mm. like I was focused on her Um, and then the other point that they make in the video is that this doesn't really tie apparently so again I wasn't familiar with um, Caperni but apparently like you know it doesn't tie into their brand image and their aesthetic Mm. again I don't know (laughs) I'm just I'm just putting this to the class so I found that interesting yeah. to hear as well it begs the question like would this have been as big if it wasn't Bella Hadid because like the dress itself I think it was a bit underwhelming I think that's what the point <laughs> of the you think moment. it's oh underwhelming God, that three scientists came on and sprayed a dress on a woman that looks like a real dress no no, no. <laughs> I mean the actual design of the dress that's paid. worn <laughs> I know. And the other thing, sorry, the other thing the TikToker said, stop coming for me. I'm just relaying the information. The other thing Taylor said was like, you know, it's interesting because yes, Caperni is known for innovation and stuff, but here they are bringing tech that's a decade old that wasn't even created by them to the to this as a like as their branding moment. I guess I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas, Jazz. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I think that does have like merit but i think it was pretty a lot of people are disagreeing like, okay. by the way like in the comments section saying? like it's it's a, it's a bit of a mix they're like oh that's a hot take i still think you know it's beautiful um it doesn't have to have a story like it could just be pretty um or like whatever yeah. like, i don't know i'm happy with all these yeah takes. <laughs> i mean to each their own really unfast but i think yeah. it's like super futuristic it was really cool to see but yeah, like I said, there have been a lot of these viral moments throughout the fashion weeks. There was also the aquatic wear brand Botta, who encased their model's hands in dyed Waterfield condoms with the purpose oh. to bring water to the runway. Did you see this? Oh, I oh did not see this. I'm surprised. Like little bags? Like condom, like bags? condom gloves. Oh, but the hand. That's kind of that's It was interesting. Cool. But like even Pedestrian yeah. wrote about it and like pedestrians not a fashion publication specifically so that was kind of interesting to me because the label use recycled plastics and kelp in their collection because it's aimed at highlighting awareness around plastic pollution in their oceans um but then it's also like they're using these like plastic gloves unless these are i mean maybe they are made of recycled plastics but that is i didn't look at the clothes like that that was like the viral Mm. moment right yes and then another thing that's been popping up on TikTok as well is this viral moment um, at fashion shows where models were actually in the front row and, um, you know, halfway through the show they would stand up and continue walking mm. around and it kind of created um, audience kind of hawk-eyeing each other and being like, ooh, like, who's next? Like who's the model? Mm. Like, who's the fashion goer? Like a mystique in the crowd. Mm. So it feels like 
the designers are really trying to like get the everyday person's attention through different stunts. I'm not saying that fashion has never had this before. Like there definitely Mm. are moments like that. So my question is like, do we feel like there's more stunt kind of PRE like, uh, oh, this fashion show had condom gloves or like this spray on dress. There's more of them this year. Or is it because of TikTok and because we're seeing like the same things over and over and like we're seeing that moment of the model standing up and from the crowd and walking on the runway from like five different angles that we get fatigued by it? I can't tell the difference. For me, I instantly think about the Victor and Rolf couture collection with um, the big puffy mm-hmm. dresses and statement wording that was like no photos please um sorry I'm late I didn't want to come mm-hmm. no I am my own muse all that kind of thing and I think that really spoke to the Instagram culture of that time where that you know we have that on pretty like embroidery pieces or people have them like I don't know as Instagram posts um would you do you kind of see that mm. back then? So it's kind of saying that like fashion shows are like keeping up with and trying to play to like the different apps and algorithms. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So like it's always been there, but I think it's more rampant or it has to be more in your face or shocking to be viral mm. nowadays. So people are playing more into that sphere. Um it, I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but not really. I think a lot of new, like there's a lot of new music these days. These days I feel so old. Um, but I hear it, I'm like, oh, my God, this was like manufactured to try be a TikTok, mm-hmm. like hit. Like, so like the, you know, the lyrics and musicality of it. And you're like, oh, my God, like they're trying to just. 100%. But I mean, that's. There must be some yeah. essays already out there. I actually think that um, Eilish Gilligan's written some for Refinery29 Australia about like TikTok and music and like its effect, TikTok's effect on the music industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a really cool piece. We can link it below. That was more exploring like musicians being forced to be like content creators on platforms like um TikTok, but I mean, one and the same, they're all related. Hey? Yeah. And there's also a recent piece on Refinery29 about like why we like sped up TikTok songs and if it's like dopamine dressing for your ears, which I've also thought about. I'm like, why is like every song that becomes big then gets sped up? And Steve Lacey actually just released um, Bad Habit, the sped up official audio on like Spotify and Apple Wait, Music. Just released. Yeah. Like this week because. Like officially, because people were using it illegally on TikTok and creating their own. Oh, so obviously, yeah. the um, there's been a few others like that. Even like Ellie Golding's lights for that trend where lights is sped up. Mm. Um, yeah, you go if you go on their Spotify. Sometimes people have like sped up version. So yeah, that's fascinating as well. I think, but yeah, a big tangent. I think we could like have a whole another section on like <laughs> yeah. TikTok's effect on the music industry. It's so interesting to me. Yes. What a culture club tangent. We started with Bella at this fashion show and now we're interrogating TikTok and music. We love that. But on to the next segment. In last week's episode, we spoke about CR fashion book China's CGI cover of the late Marilyn Monroe. Now, the movie of Marilyn's life, Blonde, which is based off a biographical fiction novel by Joyce Carol Oates, is out and the reviews have been terrible. So people on TikTok have been recapping the movie and telling people to not watch it as well, saying that they can't even get through the 20-minute mark and this film goes for over two hours. 
these thoughts have also been shared with the press. So Catherine Singh said this of the film in a Refinery29 article titled Leave Marilyn Monroe Alone. Monroe suffers violence at the hands of various romantic partners who profit off her body and image, physical and emotional pain from several miscarriages, and exploitation from Hollywood, where Monroe is underpaid, belittled, and called a whore and tramp. It's unrelenting, over-the-top, and difficult to watch. As Mark Commode in a review for The Guardian describes it, Blonde is a horror movie masquerading as a film about fame. She continues, Retelling this narrative of abuse does nothing to push the conversation about women's treatment forward. Instead, using these women's real trauma to manufacture a box office hit is just another way that they are being exploited. I remember last week we were both like, oh, like this is pretty like strong allegations, but we'll, we probably will watch it. And like now I don't think I'm even going to bother watching it. Yeah, neither. That's such a good point. And I was like, oh, hearing how horrific this film is, not just from like enjoyment point mm-hmm. of view, but like how terrible it kind of is for Marilyn, like Marilyn. Um, I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to support this. I don't see any value it would add if we did either. Mm. I found it also quite interesting, like the point, the extracts of the article that you just pointed out are kind of similar to this TikTok again. I saw from Emrata this week and she was kind of talking about this film, but also just about like women in the public eye at large. And she was talking about the fetishization of women's pain Mm. and um, like hurt. And she was also talking about personally in her life, she's had times where she is personally, um, what's that work like co-opted it or kind of like made it something that's cool and sexy about her like trying to make I don't know it like part of her identity like brand identity. yeah like attractive to others yeah, yeah. and I found that quite interesting like mm. what she was saying about that and has really been like getting involved in kind of like trending topics of the moment because she also like spoke about the Adam Levine stuff and like she's kind of becoming like yeah. a cultural commentator I wonder if that's from like when she wrote her book now she's trying to get more into that space maybe yeah and having tiktok as a platform to just like voice opinions i don't agree with like everything she said in that video as well and stuff but like Mm -hmm. i mean that's what tiktok's for yeah so aside from the movie sex toy brand womanizer has also released a vibrator in collaboration with Marilyn's estate according to hype bay quote Unlike other campaigns that focus on Monroe as a sex symbol and nothing else, Womanizer aims to showcase Marilyn Monroe in the light she deserved. Joanna Reeve, head of sexual empowerment at Womanizer, shared, quote, This campaign and product is a tribute to a woman who was often underestimated, a woman who was in many ways ahead of her time and rebelled against social conventions, a woman we would call nowadays a feminist and thought leader, a woman who was sexualized, a woman who went through hard times, a woman who survived, a woman who has not let herself be defeated. She continued, For us and many people around the world, Marilyn Monroe remains an important example for empowerment and should be celebrated as such. We are very excited and honoured about this partnership. So I saw this branding exercise um, like a day the night after we recorded last week's episode where we spoke Mm. about Marilyn and I like my jaw literally dropped I screenshotted it and sent it to you straight away I think I was in all caps as well I was like what the fuck a vibrator of Marilyn Monroe like this is so like 
weird to me. Like this woman died 60 years ago. Now we're like creating vibrators in like memory of her. It just feels so icky to me. So icky. And it was the weirdest thing because like you sent like a TikTok video where a guy was just giving away the vibrator, right? There was no commentary mm. around it. And then when I Googled to find out more, all I could find were a few kind of press releases about the collab, quite glowing, mm-hmm. like what kind of what you just read, like the quotes that we read out just then. I'm like, is anyone not having thoughts about this? Because like that, this we, we, right now, like our whole segment is talking about like how Marilyn has been continually exploited, not only in her um, when she was alive, but now as we continually mm. rehash her troubled past, and especially how she was oversexualized and hypersexualized as a sex icon, where she's like not even a person anymore; she's just a symbol. Mm. And it's like we're really putting her like face on a vibrator. I'm gonna sell that. Yeah. Like, so it's like her face on the box and the branding and it's like the Marilyn like special collab um, and then they're releasing co- different colours for this like limited edition Marilyn Monroe um, by like Womanizer. So it's going to be white marble, black marble, mint and vivid red. Imagine if like you died okay, and yeah. 60 years later your face is like on the front of a vibrator box and like you didn't like consent to that to like your image being used for that and I think what's telling about like the like paradox here is Joanna the person from Womanizer who spoke was like and if Marilyn was alive today she would be um, considered a feminist it's like back then like Marilyn maybe was was not as progressive as let's say we are today so it's like would she want this like would she want this flat out like our Mm. values are so different nowadays it's like well yeah we know that a lot of female celebrities um, are happy to talk about pleasure like Lily Allen collabed with Womanizer but I don't know like I don't know how to describe it but like times are different like maybe she was like Mm fuck no like I would hate that I don't know yeah I think the thing that gets me is like we said last week Marilyn's image is everywhere like it's on cheap art it's on t-shirts it's whatever for me it's a thing that's like this is like an instrument for pleasure and like it is a sex toy and like Marilyn's whole thing was that she was oversexualized to the point where she became a caricature of herself and not Norma Jean and yeah like her life like she was take like abused and like taken for granted if that's that's not really the right word to say but her life was like defined by that and now we can't even let her rest in peace like we've got to put her face on the front of a sex toy box 60 years later to sell more vibrators because she's like a symbol a sex symbol she's like that's my whole thing I'm like she's still being used as a sex symbol 60 years after she's died like how many sex symbols are there today that would could actually sign a contract and be like I consent to my face and my branding being on this box like Lily Allen why did we have to do this like it's just capitalizing on the Marilyn moment which is cap which is because of the movie which is like a fucked up depiction and a fictionalized biography of Marilyn's life yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said there. And I just always think 
like oh what's next like how do we move mm. on from this because this will continue to happen not just for to her but more celebrities as they as they pass on or even as they're alive we will take the image and run with it with like however we want I guess um it's like do we see an end to this I don't know I think as time uh con- as time continues to pass like we will continue to romanticize like the golden age of Hollywood and um celebrities from a bygone era like Marilyn so yeah because it's like wow like we are really seeing so much Marilyn content and I understand Mm. yes it's for this film premiere but I feel like oh I don't know but it's also like yeah Marilyn was a sex symbol but so was Elizabeth Taylor like where's is there an Elizabeth Taylor vibrator or like Sophia Loren I think she's still alive but like it's because that it's the whole sex symbol caricature that they're using it like they're not going to put Audrey Hepburn on the front of a vibrator box another thing about that is Emrata mentioned this in the TikTok um but it's about the way that we are so fascinated with the gruesome deaths of women or like the horrible deaths that women die that kind of cement them in like pop culture Mm. so with Marilyn um she died of an overdose at age 36 but we see this time and time again with serial killer victims and and other people that we kind of gawk over like we're so endlessly fascinated mm-hmm. by them but in this like gruesome way so yeah yeah Catherine Singh in the refinery article also references Princess Diana as someone who yes. like so many stories get made of her life and even Spencer the most recent movie I really enjoyed it um but it was literally like going into her psyche and it's like a couple of days um where her marriage to Charles is ending and um yeah it's like is that that is it that's probably exploitative as well I don't know, it's like what's the line between artistic kind of portrayal and then exploitation and the last question I have for the class today is like I don't know if I agree with this guys I'm just I'm just putting it out there but it's like okay well well oh no I don't want to say it I'll just say it but it's like well if these people are dead already like doesn't matter what happened to the image like does it actually matter like they're not here to to see the impact um of what's happening I think it matters I'm not saying it doesn't I'm just I, yeah, yeah, neither. yeah I think it matters too but I find that interesting as well because I don't know oh. yeah well that kind of leads into that question kind of leads into um this piece that we want to reference so our colleague and the editor of Vice Australia Brad Esposito wrote about this in his newsletter, Very Fine Day. So it's about what we ask of celebrities after their death and how we just take and take and take from like essentially the carcass of a celebrity's image. And he wrote it in response to this week's posthumous release of Alan Rickman's diary, as well as the unauthorized biography of chef Anthony Bourdain and, of course, the Marilyn movie. Brad kindly agreed to read some of his piece out for us today. So here he is in his own words. Bourdain, Marilyn, Rickman. Three names of the dead and buried who we have somehow demanded more pieces of. As if their existence was not enough, an act of service in debt to us all. We paid you all this attention, goes the mantra. You owe us this much. And so we read about how the personal diaries of an actor are set to be published, gleefully sharing quotes on Instagram and Twitter, We dissect how the final and personal text messages from a man who killed himself now belong to us, despite calls of defamation and of callousness. 
We ask for more from a woman whose life has been chronicled so readily and extensively it has become worth more to society than is likely measurable. The idea of Marilyn Monroe, chastened and tortured and brutally portrayed so Netflix can make its bag back. The tragedy of Bourdain so saddened and confused by loss that the New York Times sees fit to publish an extensive essay riddled with morally heinous speculation, offering nothing other than to try to throw rocks at the stained glass memory of an idol. The written thoughts of a respected actor, short and trite and real, which allow us to see who he really is. We are desperate and we are unashamed. Not for me, kid. It was not enough that we used artificial intelligence to construct the voice of a dead man so he could narrate a story he is no longer alive to tell. Is this the future we want? Does it matter? It is the future we are building for ourselves. Thank you, Brad, for sharing. Um, I saw this piece on Brad's Instagram today and, yeah, I just feel like it's such a great take and just really sums up like this next era of celebrity culture not just when people are alive but like after they've passed and like the way we expect so much from that image and them as individuals even after death so thank you Brad another week another cheating scandal This week, instead of a major musician caught in the act of infidelity, we've seen a YouTuber been called out online. And as we all know, that person was Ned Fulmer, member of the popular YouTube group, The Try Guys. Did you ever watch The Try Guys, Chaz? So as you know, I'm a little bit older than you. (laughs) A few years. I was in high school when BuzzFeed was really, really big Um, and just out of like I was a senior and then just out of school. So I watched them when they were at BuzzFeed, but I didn't watch them like once they left. But I like saw the TikToks, like knew of them, obviously. What about you? Yes. No, the the hold that BuzzFeed had over all of us. Mm. Um, I was obsessed with the food series that I've forgotten the name of right this second. Tasty? No, the one where they compare three different of the same foods at three different Mm -hmm. price points. Worth it. Oh, my God. I literally planned like my US trip around that series to visit some of the places that they had eaten at. Anyway, I digress. That's just BuzzFeed in general. Um, I think I caught a few episodes or like videos of the Try Guys, but I wasn't like, Mm. what do they call their fans? Like one of the Try Try Hard. Yeah. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, a try scam. And it was quite funny because this week um, there were a lot of tweets being like, yeah, nice, you made up a whole series about this so-called try guys, right? Because a lot of people were like, what the hell yeah. are we talking about? Yeah, that was really funny. I saw Zara from um, Shameless. Did we share that one? Um, but the Sydney Morning Herald did a great rundown of this drama in a piece by Angus Dalton. The Try Guys formed in 2014 when four BuzzFeed employees, Keith Habersberger, Zach Kornfeld, Eugene Lee Yang and Ned Fulmer, banded together to film a video trying on women's underwear. That original video now has 22 million views, which is pretty much the population of Australia. So they were really, really big. Um, 
And as the name suggests, they try things together like driving while stoned, simulating the pain of labor, and attempting to microblade their way out of male pattern baldness. And just to put in perspective of how big they got and how quickly that happened was just four years later in 2018, they split from BuzzFeed and founded their own YouTube channel, which has since gained um, 7.9 million subscribers and over 2.2 billion video views. Since then, they've gotten book deals, a documentary, a TV show, a national tour, and they've got a couple podcasts as well. It's like the media dream, right? Like you start with something really simple in-house and then you just like can do that for the rest of your life and it just blows up and you just become a millionaire. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Dreaming off into the distance there, Jess. Wake up. (laughs) So... Then the drama started. Speculation started a week prior to all this coming out when Try Guys fans noticed that Ned had been edited out of the last three videos and disappeared from their podcast. Boy, imagine this happened with us. It was like you got caught in the scandal and like we just had to edit you out. It's like three episodes of just me, like half conversation. Oh. You're like, yeah, I totally agree, Maggie. Yes. Anyway, continue. What happened? Then a grainy New York nightclub shot emerged on Reddit and this kind of all started like kicked off on Reddit as well, which is um, really interesting because usually it's Twitter, but yeah, it started on Reddit and it appeared to show Ned kissing a woman who was not his wife, Ariel. Fans speculated that it was Try Guys producer Alex Herring. Then mm. Try Guys unfollowed Fulmer on social media. And then on Tuesday night, Try Guys released a statement reporting that Fulmer had been cut from the foursome. As a result of a thorough internal review, we do not see a path forward together, they said. Yeah, and then Ned posted on his own Instagram page and he confirmed this. And you might have seen this meme going around, but he said, quote, he had lost focus and had a consensual workplace relationship. So on like Twitter, people were having that quote with different screenshots yeah. from different movies and TV shows like um, like in Sound of Music. Yeah, that was funny. Ariel, his wife, also shared her own statement on her Instagram, um, which read, thanks to everyone who has reached out to me. It means a lot. Nothing is more important to me and Ned than our family. And we all request right now is that you respect our privacy for the sake of our children. Yeah, and so... This was posted five days ago at the time of us recording and she hasn't posted anything since, which would make sense. I wouldn't either. But Ariel's kind of like became part of their brand, right? So the couple have created a cookbook full of recipes for date night food together. She regularly appears in the Try Guys videos and even the Try Wives have their own spinoff podcast, which is so cute. Um, they've even done a bloody architectural digest together and Ned is commonly known as the wife guy. Did you see that YouTube video that I think actually the Try Guys made where it's like every time Ned says my wife and it like is a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what has people so riled up because if I'm going to be honest, I was like, why do we care? Yeah. Another man has cheated. Why are we surprised? Like, what has people so riled up this time? And I think it kind of goes down to two major points. 
Um, one being, you know, the parasocial relationship created with fans, which really, really focused on him being this wife guy. So, you know, like people, like fans had so much trust, I felt in like their relationship and so much, um, like faith. Yeah. And so much faith in their marriage as well. I think it was something that was super wholesome and a comfort watch for lots of people as well like I know I see myself doing that to other YouTubers too um but yeah yes I saw this on Twitter originally like with someone being like oh my god this reddit drama about the try guys is insane and I was like oh can I be bothered and I looked on reddit and I was like oh someone's cheated whoop-de-doo and I was yeah like you I was like why do we care but then I you just get swept up in it and um I think it is because of the whole a white wife guy. Yeah, and I think, okay, one other thing to add on to that as well, because it was a workplace relationship, I think that added to the drama of it. Um, fans would have seen Alex in a lot of the videos mm. and um, like publicly on Alex's Instagram account. Like they have photos together. There's like photos of her and Ned. But, yeah. You know, um, and one other little detail that fans had pointed out was apparently – Ariel had mentioned in previous um, content that she was a little self-conscious about being older than Ned Um, and then Alex who he had this consensual relationship affair with um, was much younger so that was another kind of like soft point that people had called out and like why fans were like sad about this how much older is she so she's only one year older which is really (laughs) sorry (laughs) but like i mean i was like oh she's like 10 years older no but the patriarchy will tell like you know make make people insecure about anything um i also love this phrase by angus um in sydney morning herald where he talked about like the pitfalls of performative monogamy i love that like, I think that really, really kind of um, like centers on what we're talking about because, you know, a wife guy publicly like adores his wife and and shares that with the rest of the world or the internet, etc. Melissa Mason also wrote about this in a piece titled Why You Should Never Trust a Hollywood Wife Guy. She said, the reason this is so shocking is because Former's entire brand has been built on being a good husband. A great dad, a family man, the fun but committed guy. He's a classic wife guy, a term that started off as a weird niche internet meme back in 2016, but has since been used to describe a man who religiously and more importantly, publicly worships his wife. How do you personally feel about wife guys, Jazz? I don't know if I have that many feelings about wife guys. Sometimes it's nice to say that, you know, just be like, I don't have that many feelings, but I think... There's like a tipping point, right, where you're like, oh, this is a man who genuinely loves his wife and like wants to shout it from the rooftops versus like this is a person who is like commodifying their relationship and like their partner is their brand. That's when it gets weird. And honestly, that is why I stopped writing about my relationship um, over the last like year or two because I found myself like, like it was becoming like my brand identity is like being in this like long distance relationship and all this stuff. And it's nice when you can connect with people, but like, yeah, I felt icky about like my partner potentially becoming like, um, like a character in people's heads, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I stopped explicitly like writing about my relationship. What, what do you think of wife guys? 
Yeah, I'm kind of mixed as well. Like I do have thoughts on it in the way that, oh, I do think it's nice when a guy publicly expresses like his emotions. Like, yes, the buy is low, which we will get to. But like I, I think it's nice to see um, outpourings of love. Like I am a Pisces. Like I don't really find it that cringe. Like I actually enjoy that sort of stuff. But I am very skeptical when it is people in um, – like in the public eye or celebrities who are like filming they're like morning breakfasts together like every morning or doing all that stuff for the camera or like the camera is always there as a third person um I remember when I was um this was ages ago there was a time I was surrounded by content creators um uh, some who, of who had their partners and then watching them in action like filming like lovey-dovey shots but then going to the cameras resha- like reshotting and like reshooting and and that kind of mechanical Ooh. weirdness to it like kind of freaked me out so like that's the other aspect that I do think a lot about when I see like cute content on TikTok interesting and stuff. yeah because I, I lap it up oh my god so much of my for you page is like wedding like yeah. cute oh, moments and like relationshipy stuff I think I like subconsciously I'm like oh that's so cute and then I press the like button and it's just showing me more but yeah then you think like yeah. I always think about that as well like get ready with me in the morning like when people wake up and then it's like you gotta go run and get the phone <laughs> but I know <laughs> yes. that you've done stuff like that <laughs> shut up I mean my phone is I mean whatever no this is getting into a tangent I'm not saying it's cringe oh. I just am saying that I think about it yeah, everything's before. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, but just to end, I found this opinion column by Awa Madawi for The Guardian who wrote, as has been widely noted, the only reason that the wife guy archetype exists is because the bar is set very low for straight men. Society is very quick to fawn over a dude because he changes a diaper or looks after his own child. Oh, wow. It's so great. He's babysitting. What a catch. When a powerful man takes more than a few days of paternity leave, well, you might as well make him a saint, stat. And when a famous man talks admiringly about his wife, a national treasure. As Jezebel notes, our default assumption is that heterosexual marriages are unhappy, that most men don't care for their wives, that those who do love their wives are automatically deserving of our collective adoration. Mic drop. Such a good extract. Thank you for reading that one out. I feel like it sums up our thoughts. Like, exactly. It is now time for recommendations. Jazz, welcoming the week of October. What did you read, watch, or listen to this week that you enjoyed? So I was thinking about what I enjoyed this week. And I finished The Bear, but, like, you recommended that last week, so I couldn't recommend that. I'm not going to recommend Heartbreak High because everyone has been, like, loving it and recommending it anyway. So I'm going to recommend a Disney movie that I watched last night, which I loved. And it is Hocus Pocus 2. So have you seen Hocus Pocus 1? No. So I was going to (laughs) ask, what's the vibes? Okay, you have to go and watch Hocus Pocus 1. I don't know if it's just like a – like a comfort thing that I love it so much. Maybe like if you're coming into it from like a different viewpoint, you might hate it. So the movie is an iconic Halloween movie and it stars Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy who are these witches and it's set in Salem. So they're witches and they come back to 1993 and – they're like summoned and they kind of cause havoc and it's all on like one night of Halloween and the kids have to get the sisters back into 
the like netherworld or whatever, wherever they came from. Um, because it's like this spell. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm always saying this so badly. <laughs> it's a really good movie. But Hocus Pocus 2, I just realized as I was saying that, it's almost the same plot. Except this one gives a bit more backstory to the three witch sisters, explains like how they became witches um, and yeah, a bit more of what happened to them. And it stars the new Gossip Girl actress Whitney Peake as Becca, Belissa Escobedo as Izzy and Lilia Buckingham as Cassie. So they are three teenage friends. Cassie's kind of fallen out with them for the reason I won't tell you, and it's Becca's 16th birthday. And they, through a series of events, accidentally bring back the three Sanderson sisters who haven't been in Salem for like 30 years. So it's just like a comfort watch for me. It was just like, like I said, very similar to the first one, but it's updated. Um, It's way more diverse than the first one. And it all takes place in the one night. So it's really easy to follow and it's just like a really nice Saturday night movie with popcorn and Ben and Jerry's like I had last night. Cute. Yes, I also had ice cream last night. Sorry, I saw it in your story. I was going to message you. We're like so so matching all the time. So in sync. So one question though is can you watch Hocus Pocus 2 without watching the first one? You can, but I wouldn't recommend it. Like Hocus Pocus 1 is also on Disney Plus and it's, it's a lot better in my opinion right. in terms of like story um okay, cool. it's a really good movie you should watch Hocus Pocus 1 maybe come on <laughs> I'm like so scarred from like witch movies when you're like when you're younger like the witches oh, rolled oh, out like come oh. on that was so scary like that kind of oh they're not scary. I, I was searching it up they're not scary oh witches. I know like it's a kid yeah okay oh cute they're like fun they're evil but they're like <laughs> it they're funny like it's comedy yeah nice okay maybe <laughs> no thank you i appreciate it like halloween spirit like we are getting into the halloween spirit sorry jazz like totally shut down your i almost shut down your recommendation but no it does sound fun um thank you i'm sure there's gonna be lots of halloween lovers yeah our listeners yeah yeah and what are you recommending this week yeah so i've got a podcast to recommend this week i actually got into it um during our long break a couple months ago and i'm still enjoying it heaps and it is called normal gossip so i had seen this in my spotify feeds i'd seen a few people talk about it but it wasn't until our co-worker ellie aka eloise talked about it um but it like gave me the push to listen and I love it so their own Instagram bio just like as a little I guess explainer is that it is quote juicy utterly banal gossip about people you'll never know oh and it is a super fun podcast where yeah each week there's a new guest and a new anonymous story of gossip and oh my goodness I didn't realize how like enthralling yeah gossip can be like it, it was so it, yeah there's just like good stories and there's like low stakes because you know you don't know these people they're they're entertaining they usually like flip typical stories on their head so for instance they try to like not lean into stereotypes or like kind of like i don't know flip characters and it's just fun it's just like an entertaining bit 
of content I like listen especially if I'm feeling not necessarily lonely that's kind of sad but I'm like oh I feel like social interaction or I feel like a laugh or I feel like oh a bit of a buzz right it gives me a bit of a buzz so yeah I recommend this fun podcast Anyway, as a secondary add-on recommendation, I also do want to recommend Kelsey McKinney. So she's the host of the podcast. Um, She also wrote an op-ed for The Times uh, with a headline called Gossip is Not a Sin. And in the piece, she talks about how she had this very conservative Christian upbringing and she kind of unpacks the way that her church leaders demonize gossiping as like a shameful activity. And it's a it's a really it's a really like thought provoking and like well-written piece. And I really um, recommend that because I definitely had like very weird opinions or thoughts about gossip. Like I always think it's like a bad thing. Mm. I shouldn't do it. And listening to this podcast has helped me like unpack that and find joy in it and feel like not ashamed yeah. for that either. So yeah. Yeah. It's so true that we were like brought up to be like gossiping is bad. And I think like it can be toxic and oh, it can yes. be mean, yeah. right? Like, it's again, it's a gray area, like I was talking about last week. Sure. Um, but gossip actually helped like women survive back in the day. Like Completely. women speaking to other women is like life saving stuff, you know, even now, but yeah. hundreds, especially hundreds, hundreds of years ago. But funnily enough, our two recommendations actually kind of link because women who like, spoke a lot were often seen as like witches and there's actually this um torture instrument designed it was first recorded in scotland in 1567 and it was designed as a punishment for women of the lower classes who were deemed nags or scolds and they were often suspected of witchcraft so these wives who were seen as witches were forced to wear this thing on the head locked wow. um, and it was often called the gossip bridle and with such a frame locking their heads and mouth those accused could be led through the town in a cruel public humiliation um, showing what could happen if they don't remain subservient to men like if you're a gossip you're a witch and that kind of in hocus pocus too the whole reason that these they're like young girls the eldest is 16 at the time when they're kind of like banished from the town and it's because they say no to the eldest 16 year old sister marrying this like random boy this pagan boy or they're all pagans it's salem um but because she's like defiant and says no they're like you're a witch so yeah witches and gossip and I found that fact from Sylvia Federici's book, Witches, Witch Hunting and Women. I love that. That's so interesting and it's so true. Um, in Kelsey's op-ed, she kind of talks quite heavily about like the Me Too movement and how gossip was such a vehicle mm. for that kind of um, being spearheaded. And I think it goes to show like gossip is like journalism is half gossip, let's be honest. And like it shows that words have power. Totally. Like, witches back in those days or people or women who were um, thought to be witches it's like because people are fearful people are like worried about the power Mm -hmm. that they can hold so yeah like people who question power structures it still happens today yes exactly exactly so this podcast is a great way to pay respect (laughs) to this medium that we all partake in whether you think you do or you don't i love that 
we're going to end right there. We don't need to say anything more. Thanks for listening to this episode where we went on like multiple deep dives. Yes, we really did chat a lot. We would have to wear those gossip <laughs> muzzles if we were in a hundred, a few hundred years ago. Um, but until next time, love you. Bye. Bye.